Welcome to the Consume Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Remembering the Passion, Embracing Resurrection, by Pastor John. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consume Church, check us out at theconsumechurch.com. Happy Resurrection Day. Yes. What a day to celebrate. What a great day. You guys are looking good. Wearing your Sunday best. So yeah, just a, maybe a note on the National Day of Prayer. May the 4th be with you. Uh, last year was great. You know, I, I felt a conviction from the Lord that we were to start reaching out to the community. I really didn't know how to do that. I came back from... Uh, Raleigh all fired up with all this instruction from the Lord, and I was like, Matthew, let's go. We're going to give turkeys to all the neighbors. We're going to go over here to this neighborhood. And, you know, Matthew was like deer in the headlights. Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> so I, anyways, I had to learn how to tone it down and, and find ways uh, in which to, uh, they're not on Matthew. Matthew's, uh, you know, often the executive arm. I, I get to be the visionary, and he winds up carrying stuff out or helping me carry stuff out and reminds me that, Sometimes things take time, and, and uh, that was, you know, a week before Thanksgiving would have been really hard to do. So anyways, uh, but yeah, so last year we did the um, National Day of Prayer. We partnered with a couple of other churches. We uh, had folks come through and get uh, free prayer, and it, I was shocked at how much it blessed me to actually stand out. People weren't just driving through. I wound up being like, well, if they're not coming to me, I'm going to them. And I stood on, on this uh, curb out here. You can stand like... I don't know, four or five foot from cars doing 50 miles an hour, which sounds a little crazy, but you can actually see them right in the eye. It was amazing. So I just prayed for them. I'd be like, God bless you and your family. And, and they could read lips. It was amazing. Some people just oh, change lanes, you know, no thanks. <laughs> but to see the life of the spirit, you guys probably remember me talking about this last year, but to see that we're actually able to infuse the world with the glory of God, that you can actually release the Holy Spirit on people. And I know for a fact, whether they pulled it or not, those people got blessed because I see it. Their countenance changed as they drove by. It's really cool. So anyways, uh, you can have as much of that as you want. If, if you're feeling um, uh, creative, if you're feeling uh, compelled by God to be a part of that, then yeah, y'all come show up and let's do it. Uh, I'd love to see in the future us having a big smoker out there and serving barbecue and a big sign that says free lunch with prayer, you know, so... Uh, I don't know if we can pull that off or not, because it takes uh, many hands to do things. And um, anyways, when I'm limping around because I like to do stuff, I, I, I hear the Lord say things and then I just take off and do them. Uh, so I'm limping a little bit, put a little strain on the Achilles this morning um, with the addition there, carrying that thing in and setting it up. I had a, I had a vision from the Lord about uh, it putting a cross in and uh, it the moment that we stood it up and I stepped back and looked at it, it just, I got overcome uh, with it being just like I saw in that vision. So anyways, it's, it's not just, thank you. It's not just, uh, it's beautiful and it's very ugly and ugly on purpose um, because it's not just an icon uh, or an emblem. It's more than that. It's, it's actually a tool for us to interact with. And uh, it's, there is nothing in your life so ugly as that. And that's where it belongs. Everything ugly, everything hurtful, everything that you've carried around for way too long, we can leave it here. And so over the next months and years, that's what it's there for. Not just to be an identifier that that's part of our faith, but it's actually there for us to interact with. Hallelujah. So uh, last week, if you were here, we started a new series called The Life of a Disciple. And I thought maybe today's message would break outside of the series and uh, glory to God, uh, I was able to kind of put the together under the heading of the series, but a li the life of a disciple, um, remembering the passion and embracing resurrection is the title for today. And it's just amazing because we celebrate today the resurrection and what God did there, but I felt like it was important to, like many places, to celebrate and embrace not just the resurrection, but the whole 
body of work of Christ, specifically in his passion. How many of you have watched the Passion of the Christ movie? How many of you watched it like this year? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've watched it once. I, um, I had it in the DVD case in cellophane for four years, sitting right there next to my TV set, and I'd go, can't do it, can't do it. Because the cross is really difficult to swallow. It's hard to look at. It's hard to take in. And I knew what Mel Gibson had done with that movie, and I just... You know, it's like, let's watch our best friend be tortured to death, you know? That sounds like a good Friday night evening of entertainment with popcorn and <laughs> Coke. Uh, but I want to talk about the power of remembering. So last week, uh, talking about the life of a disciple and what does it mean to be a disciple and a disciple for us, uh, it looks like the Lord's got me going after the sacraments, you know? We talked about the, uh, what the church has historically called the sacrament of baptism, and I, I stretched you a little bit, you know, and thought outside the box as far as what baptism means and the, the spirit baptism, the idea of being uh, born again. And this week I want to talk about uh, communion and the fact that Jesus identified himself with the Paschal Lamb through the institution of communion, which we call a sacrament. And I think that there's some... Uh, greater understanding and greater meaning that I'm inviting all of us to step into today as we learn and discover more about the kingdom of God and what we call kingdom theology. That's the type of lens in which we now see the New Testament and the Old Testament, all of Scripture through the lens of the kingdom of God, because we've been on that subject for uh, months now. And what does it mean that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom? So, you know, one of the songs we sang today, as much as I love it, it said something about, um, you bore my cross. It's a very theological statement. You realize nowhere in the Bible does it say that he bore our cross. He did not bear your cross. What does he say about your cross? <laughs> That's right. He said that if you desire to follow me, to come after me, follow me, meaning... If you want to be a disciple, that's what follow me means. He said that even after the resurrection, he told that to Peter. You follow me, feed my lambs. But he told folks, if you want to follow me, you'll have to take up your cross. And so I think that some of our theology has almost hijacked the greater understanding of what is going on in the gospel, how we relate to the cross, how we understand Jesus' work on the cross. And his whole entire body of work, of having done miracles, of having obeyed his Father in doing those miracles, in setting people free and bringing the life of God upon the planet, preaching the kingdom of God that was now at hand. And then it culminates in what we call the passion narrative. And often we think about the passion narrative uh, as all of the betrayal the trial, the mocking, the scourging, the crucifixion, the resurrection. But I spent this week just digging into the Gospels, and I read all the Gospel stories, just absorbing and processing uh, the synoptic Gospels. That's what we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because they have synonymous themes. There's large portions where they sound like they're saying the same thing or repeating the story, some of it verbatim, word for word. And I was really, I was really amazed at the the difference, the the similarities and differences in the story. And so, if you actually back up a little bit, the passion that Jesus had, this whole work, this body of work that Jesus came to do, uh, really started to culminate after he was widely known and was really ticking off uh, the religious leaders of the day because he was breaking all of their rules and he was redefining everything and he was clearly exhibiting the power of God. Uh, but his, there was this trajectory of his ministry that landed him in Jerusalem. And if you remember through the different gospel accounts, he would talk about going to Jerusalem and how that was a very dangerous place for him to go because he would go into the temple and the religious leaders of the day were seeking to 
communicate, or not communicate, excommunicate, execute him to remove him from the scene. And he drew such crowds that it was almost impossible for them to do it during the daytime. Thus the betrayal at night and Judas's role. They needed somebody to rat him out where he was at where nobody's watching. And um, so the, the trial and all of that was very unjust and very unfair, very wrong. We would say that would be uh, very wrong in today's society if we didn't really give somebody a trial, but we just took them one night and lined him up in front of a bunch of people that made accusations and the next day he bring him before the authorities and torture him and kill him. That would be very unjust, I think. Thank God for our justice system doesn't work quite like that. So I just want us to understand what God is doing. I, I think I really want to zoom in. I, you know, I, I lined out all three of the Gospels from about the time when Jesus starts approaching Jerusalem. And by mashing together the stories, the four different stories, it's, uh, you get this really rich picture of what was going on. It's funny how, as a disciple, we're called to remember on purpose, to practice things on purpose to help us to remember. There's the three R's of remembrance that we connect with a Passover Seder, uh, also with the uh, communion meal, but it's the remembering, the rehearsing, um, and reenacting is rehearsing for the future. It's a prophetic act because there's a fulfillment in it that God is releasing what God did before. He's still doing now and he'll do it again. That's the eternal nature of God. And so this is a normal thing for us as disciples and for his disciples to practice uh, remembrance. And, you know, all of the feasts of Israel, they have that as kind of a common thing that they would remember, remember, remember and step into the promises of God that are on the way. Tracking with me? So let's remember uh, last week as we talked about um, just how the how the freedom that Christ brought us through the cross actually impacted the world. And we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. So uh, I need three volunteers. How, how about a little interactive? We, we're gonna have we're gonna have four, but we're gonna have an interactive service today. Y'all okay with that? The the Lord put me up to uh, some time ago to start using um, uh, props and uh, to to illustrate and teach. So I need I need three vol I need a really tall man that needs to be one of the volunteers. Come on up. He is brave. Very brave. Okay, so originally, if you remember from last week, originally Adam made from the, made from the earth that his physical body was made from the earth, but what made him alive or animated to serve God and to have communion with God was that God blew the Spirit of God into him. And then we know that the uh, fallout from having surrendered um, our authority to the power of darkness was that we lost that, right? So, okay, I need two more. Probably one more. I'll, I'll take a couple of women and one more tall man. Thank you, Eric. All right, here you go. Now, these are a little warm. Sorry about that, okay. but, you know. It matches my clothes. Okay. So this is heavenly reality, and this is Adam in the garden. So this is man. This represents all of us that we were intended to be at peace with God, and we actually had God's Spirit animating us, right? Okay. Which <laughs> We need the, the world's system. It's actually be the serpent. Okay. Rip. There, there we go. Show every, show everybody. Obviously, this is 
This is the power of the kingdom of darkness, right? All right. And let's see. You get to, you get to hold that. All right. And this, wait a minute, who are you? How many people do I have? Yeah, I do. Sorry, honey. Thank you for coming up. Yeah, I've got enough people. All right. All right. So this is, this is what happened. The Lord spoke to Adam and he said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of that tree. I have given you authority and power over all of creation. You are to work the garden with your hands, to be expressive and creative, to represent God by the actual Spirit of God resting inside of you and animating you. Y'all tracking with me? Some of you remember more details from last week. All right? And they walked together in the cool of the garden. All right? Well, then when Adam decided, Adam and Eve, they were partners in this, decided to distrust God, like give him a, a distrusting look. Like, I don't think so. <laughs> and turned his back. And rather instead... Sorry, let's all move that way just a little bit. Just for the sake of the light. And rather instead, trusted the voice of the serpent to be empowered. He said, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. But we know that he didn't actually die. He just became very fleshly. And now he's subject to... Okay, don't go too far. <laughs> you could do that. But... Okay, now he's subject to the kingdom of this world. How? Because death actually was brought into the world through Adam, rejecting God because the Spirit of God was now removed from mankind. And now we suffer and struggle and do all the things that we do because... Uh, we're on a clock. Time is against us. And not only that, we're in a state of disintegration and falling apart. And so where man had been for 2,000 years until Christ, or I guess it would be longer, it was 4,000 years, sorry, is uh, underneath the sway of the power of darkness, the evil one that ruled and reigned. And always the tools that he uses is sin that causes death. Thank you, guys. So, talking about the passion narrative, I think two main things I want to bring out to kind of highlight what I feel like... Um, we want to focus in on today. First of all, was Jesus's identifying himself as the Paschal Lamb. You know, he's the Lamb of God that was slain from the beginning of the world, right? We sing, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. But what does it mean? What does it mean that he was the Lamb? Well, he told us quite clearly when he said um, how much he desired. I think it's in Luke. I have it here somewhere. Let me see. In Luke 22, 15 and 16, he's talking about, uh, well, he has the disciples, right? Sorry, let me back up. I've got so much information. I was like, Lord, I could preach for six hours. And these guys want to go have ham or whatever it is they want to do. So... Got Easter egg hunts to get to and that sort of thing. Anyways, um, so in the Passion narrative, Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. And he stops at Bethany, which is two miles southeast of there. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. And that act alone totally incites the religious leaders of the day and really stirs them up. But you can read in every gospel narrative uh, this pattern of as he approaches Jerusalem, these events begin to happen. And what does he do as he, as he approaches Jerusalem? He has the triumphal entry. We talked about that last week, Palm Sunday. 
right? And it mentions that it's almost Passover. Everybody's descending upon Jerusalem for Passover. And as he enters into Jerusalem, he actually is inaugurated as the king. And the religious leaders of the day are flipping out. Who are you to do stuff like this? Who do you think you are? Tell your disciples to be quiet. Tell the people to be quiet because they were casting their clothes and palm branches on the road. They were inaugurating him, welcoming the king into Jerusalem. This is something that you can find done in the Old Testament, King David and whatnot back in those days. And um, Jesus says, even the rocks would cry out. I can't stop this. What, what we don't realize is that he really was enthroned by his work. That was the inauguration. What was the next thing that he did? All the Gospels share this. The next thing in the sequence that he did was he went straight to the temple and began to throw over the tables. What was the next thing that he did? Conflict with the religious, religious leaders. And he begins telling parables about the, uh, the wicked vine dressers, you know, the, the, the owners, not the owners, but the, um, the vine dressers of the vineyard. Remember that story? All three synoptic gospels tell the same story about the wicked vine dressers. And everybody knows he's talking to the religious leaders that they are in God's garden and they have actually kept the fruit for themselves and we're not giving it to God in this scenario. And that he sent prophets, basically, this is the interpretation, sent prophets and every time someone would show up, they'd throw them out, throw them out of the garden, kill them, throw them out. And then when the sun showed up, they said, ah, this is the heir. Let's kill him too. And then the vineyard will be ours. So he's poking them in the eye and he's talking about their stewardship over the garden of God. <clears throat> You're like, what's that got to do with all that? I'll get there. Jesus says in Luke twenty-two, fifteen and 16, uh, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Because that's the next thing that happens is they prepare for the Passover. Jesus prepares for a Passover Seder. This was something that the, that the Jews still practice today. And Jesus connects himself. This is how he's the Paschal Lamb. He connects himself to the Passover meal. And really, we have to go back to Exodus to understand what's going on here. Because if we don't, I think we get the wrong idea of what the work of Christ is actually all about. The Passover meal, if you go back and you study in Genesis chapter 12, the Passover meal was this, that God had called Moses to be a deliverer of God's people. He heard their cries and said, I'm coming, I'm sending you a deliverer. I'm coming to set you free. And he calls Moses and Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he confronts the powers of that day, the powers of darkness that was ruling over the people of God. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 2, he tells Moses, when he calls Moses before he even leaves, he says, you're going to go tell Pharaoh this, that Israel is my firstborn son. And tell him, let him go, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you will not let him go, I will take your son. And that sets the stage for the drama that ensues. And so here we have Jesus identifying himself at the Passover meal. We call it the Last Supper. I don't really like that. I'd rather call it the Last Seder or Jesus' Seder or whatever. But uh, because he connects himself to the Exodus narrative. And he's been explaining about going to the cross and rising again to his disciples. But all through the gospel narratives, they're not getting it. They're quite confused, as I think that a lot of us are today, about we understand that somehow or another, Jesus on the cross has given us freedom, given us life, given us power over things that rule over us. But I'm trying to drill in a little tighter to what's going on here. I'm talking about the new exodus, the real exodus from slavery and bondage. From slavery and bondage to sin and death, the bondage of I could have made those guys stand up here a while. I was going to cut some ropes. I got some gold rope, and we'll do that another day. But Jesus is actually bringing us 
out of the, from under the power that was subjugated or given over, handed over to the enemy in the garden. Just like he brought his children out of slavery and from the power of Pharaoh and the powers of this world that use um, slavery and death as an instrument to control. Jesus says there in Luke 22, with fervent desire, I mean, it's like, I think we translate that same word there in the Greek as lust, like Jesus was, has been burning, waiting for the day to have that Seder meal with them just so he could drop the bomb and announce to them like surely by now they would see the correlation between the deliverance from Israel, uh, from Egypt, of Israel from Egypt through Moses the deliverer, the miracles, the signs. And then he began to identify himself as the Paschal Lamb, right? And he said, from now on, you're going to do this in remembrance. Forever, the, the, the Passover is something that Jews will practice forever because God told them to. But it's not that he replaced Passover, it's that he fulfilled Passover. Does that make sense? So that he repurposed the material to explain what was actually going on. That he came to save and deliver out of sin, slavery, bondage from the power of darkness. And so his body, as he is the Paschal Lamb, Here's what we need to understand about uh, the Passover in uh, Exodus chapter 12. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to say it. You can go back and look and read Exodus chapter 12. But it's the original story of when it all goes down in the, the night of Passover. And as the Lord's describing Passover, the Lord didn't say anything about that Israel in their bondage was their fault. He <laughs> said, I've come to deliver you. And here's what it's going to be. I, if, uh, Exodus 12, 12 says this, that he was passing judgment on the gods of Egypt and the land. There's something cosmic going on with this icon and with the work of Christ that goes far beyond how we internalize it. That there is a deliverance for all mankind that's going on. This removal of the power that reigns over us in setting us free, to walk us straight out into our freedom. Amen? With fervent desire. He just couldn't wait to actually change. So why don't we have communion while I'm talking about this? There's two things here. I want to talk about the communion, and I want to talk about the story of Mary in the garden. All right, so there's a table in the back, and there's one in the front. If you guys would just... Uh, take a moment to get the elements. We haven't quite got to the place where we have ushers where we would have uh, people hand you or serve you the elements. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and he broke it. <laughs> Father, we bless this your body. We remember you today, Jesus. How your body was broken for us. He gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks. Father, today we thank you for the deliverance. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb, Lord. That has been placed on the lintels and the doorposts of our homes. And Lord, the judgment that's coming on the world is actually passed over us. We receive you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I just love the symbolism of connecting this to the Exodus. Because if you read the Passover meal section in Exodus chapter 12, judgment upon the land and upon the gods of Israel was happening. The Lord told him, you tell him, let my firstborn son go so that he may serve me. I need you to hang on to that. Of all the stuff that I say today, there's a few key statements. That my firstborn son, you're going to let him go so that he can serve me. Freedom in Christ is being free to serve the Lord. I'll get to that in a few minutes. I said, if you won't let him go, I'm going to take yours. So here's the world's power actually pitting itself against the God of the universe. That's the kind of showdown that's going down with the life of Christ and his passion. His work on the cross and His resurrection. But what about God's people and this idea of the Lamb? This bloody Lamb, this strange thing. Well, there's symbolism involved. They take a firstborn Lamb, whether from goats or sheep, didn't matter. Take enough for those of you to eat and you're going to have a meal. That was the whole point, was fellowship. While the judgment of God, the justice of God was being mediated out over a land, the people of God got to sit down and have a meal. And that's what God wants from you. Fellowship. To actually allow you to be His provider. Instead of where Adam and Eve, the first man, distrusted the Word of God, He's bringing us back to a place where we trust His voice. And that's about relationship. About oneness. About sitting at a table. And so He connects Himself, you know. He connects Himself to the bread. The unleavened bread. The fact that it was unleavened is the way that this works. See, the world rises. The way that the world tries to uh, dominate and control is that everybody's under the clock. Everybody's under that pill. And it's this repeated pattern of behavior to climb up and collude with the power of darkness, to believe that voice, that to be fulfilled, to be happy, to be somebody that we could actually be like God, to make our own decisions, do whatever we want to do. Why? Because you're on a clock. Oh. And Lord would judge that oppressive system. And in the meantime, mark his kids out. Here's proof. So they would, they would kill the lamb. They would sacrifice. The word sacrifice just means to kill something. You can't eat it if you don't kill it. That would be pretty sadistic. He actually says, go ahead and kill the lamb. They all kill the lamb at twilight. We're talking about a million people now. Here in the land of Goshen, in the land of Egypt. They all kill the lamb at twilight. And then they go in. They haven't had leaven even in their house for a week. In other words, humility. Humility is ready to roll. He said, it's going to be a quick night. You need to have a, a, a staff, your sandals strapped, and your waist girded because you're going to roll. Because when this goes down, it's time. Let me just tell you right now that the deliverance of God can happen quickly. 
And we've got to be ready to participate with it. When he says it's time to roll, we got to roll. Praise God. In this way, he identifies himself as the Paschal Lamb. It's a, it's a, it's a sharing of a meal. You won't hear me preach this version that that was my cross. I have a cross to bear. That was his cross. No, he provided a <laughs> he provided a meal and covering from judgment by just trusting him that he is the deliverer. And it's done in a humble way. So the, the three things that they ate at this meal originally, now there's lots of other things in the Seder meal, but the three original uh, components of the meal was unleavened bread, the meat of the lamb, roasted in fire. That's how God can share a meal with him. God is a consuming fire. Weren't to boil it, weren't to eat it raw, had to roast it in fire. And if any of it was left over, it was to be burned. It's God's portion. Right as we get into Leviticus, we hear about uh, sacrifices, but the, the, a sacrifice just means it had to die. Offering is the better way to look at it. It's an offering of trust to God that He will actually deal with and forgive my sin. Oh, and that was the meal. Oh, one last thing: they had um, bitter herbs. Now I think it's like horseradish. So that you don't forget the bitterness of slavery. There's something about the cross. It's not pretty. It's not supposed to be pretty. I felt very convicted when the Lord said to put a cross in here that it should be ugly on purpose. Something that we can interact with. I think I might even put a hammer, but... In the future, today, or whatever, if you've got something you need to leave at the cross, come take a nail and drive it in. Because there's something about being set free from slavery that costs something. So, all right. I want to look at one more story. For the sake of time, I can't get into all of the symbolism and all of the uh, events that rolled out in his passion as much as I'd like to. But we talk about the actual resurrection narrative from John. It's just interesting in how the different writers remember things, what details that they put in. But in the synoptic gospels, you see it mostly from Peter's perspective. I believe that um, Mark ran with Peter, and Mark was the first gospel to be written. And, you know, Peter's encounter with all of this was pretty rough. He had a rough time. If you remember the story, that Peter was so sure that nothing could scare him, uh, that nothing could dominate him, that he was so committed to the Lord. And yet, the Lord warned him, said, oh, all of you will be made to stumble this night. And I think that we just have to realize that that happens to us as well. In our service to the Lord, when our faith is challenged, when the accuser, because that's what happened, the, the accuser had his way. The Lord let him have his way. When the accuser comes and says, everything you believe in is actually a lie and it's upside down. How we respond matters. But it's pretty normal to have a response like Peter. He's so sure that I will never deny you. And the Lord said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. No, I'll never do that. So anyways, the first three uh, accounts of the gospel are somewhat based on, on Peter's testimony. And, um, you know, it, you look and you see the disciples, they're disillusioned, they're traumatized. 
They all disappeared. Until you get to John's Gospel. John tells a very different story about the arrest and the trial, this cheap trial that went down in the middle of the night to be tortured and killed the very next day. But John's like, well, I was a friend of the high priest. I just went in there and talked to him and said, hey, can we bring Peter in here? Peter got in the courtyard and all of his denial went down in this courtyard. You see, when you look at John's version of the story, he's got like, uh, what, like 11 chapters covering this day and a half, five days, whatever it was, with the resurrection included there at the end and after the resurrection. But the, the passion part, he's got several chapters where some of the others, Mark is like two, three. The difference is that John is talking about all this in, um, intimate dialogue that Jesus is having with his disciples. Telling them, look, it's better. This is going to happen, but it's better for you. Jesus is, John's paying attention to what he's saying about the future. Jesus had a lot to say about, okay, this is about to happen, but it's going to produce something, right? Lest a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it does, it bears much fruit. What I'm saying is that we too, we can have our perspectives in the way in which we remember things, what we remember but the way in which we remember things. And we actually can have a relationship like John did, the disciple that Jesus loved, that leaned on his bosom. Versus the one that talked about how much he loved the Lord and <laughs> dropped the ball. Uh, not to make anybody feel uh, ashamed or guilty about that. That's, that's our humanity that Christ has actually purchased us out from that weakness. Amen? Fruit is funny. Y'all like fruit? It's kind of like nuts. Nuts are funny too. You ever get the um, uh, mixed nuts from the store? Is anybody like me where you kind of pick through and pick the ones you like? How about fruit? I don't eat candy much, but like when I was a kid, you get Starburst or um, one of those where there's fruit flavors. I'm going after like maybe the orange and maybe the cherry and the strawberry. So what's with the lemon lime? <laughs> there's something bittersweet about it. It's like I like vitamin water. Anybody like vitamin water? So that's what I like to drink. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, we'd go to the store and get a... Um, a pack, and it's a multi-pack. And I'm drinking all the red ones, you know. I don't want the white with the, the lemonade. <laughs> uh, but it could be like that with the story of the cross, you know. It could be that way with Scripture and even with the fruit of the Spirit. We have the ones that we like, the ones that we want to chew on, the ones that we want to consume. And yet there's more. And I think that looking hard at the life of Christ is difficult as it can be to swallow. It's important for us to actually look at it. John 5, 46, Jesus tells, he's having the showdown with the religious leaders and he tells them, you believe in Moses, he wrote about me. He starts quoting what's Deuteronomy 18, 15, and 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, you, him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see his great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. He's talking about Jesus. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name I will require it of him. Hmm. I want to talk about the 
I should have read that verse earlier. <laughs> I had eight pages of notes. I'm like, Lord, where do I where do I start? Where do I go with all this? But I want to talk about what happens in the garden. Jesus has been arrested, tried, handed over to the Romans, beaten, mocked, spit on, blasphemed, accused falsely. Y'all remember what his accusation was? King of the Jews. That was his That was his fault, was being the king. Picking a fight with the temple. They put a purple robe on him. The Romans made fun of him, put, stripped him down and put a purple robe on him. That's why we have purple hanging on the cross. Put a crown of thorns on his head. Hail your king. Wasn't just the torture, it was the humiliation, the mockery, the complete assault of his character and of his identity. And then they beat him. Beat him bad. Mocked him. Took him out. Nailed him to the cross. Watched him die. But then what happened? <laughs> an earthquake went off the veil in the temple was torn in two saints that had already been departed their graves were opened up and they're walking around preaching the gospel vindication is what that was the judgment had been passed at this point on the, the gods of the world Judgment being the decision in a court case that Jesus vindicated by resurrection and by his ascension. Way too much to talk about there. But what gets us to this story after they bury him. John chapter 20. This could be a talk about the Father's new garden. And John chapter 20, 11 through 18 says this, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that she had spoken these things to her, that he had spoken these things to her. Uh, now, this is a very interesting story because we can see our own humanity in Mary's reaction. The guys that already run to the tomb didn't actually see Jesus, just saw that he wasn't there and left. And Mary's standing outside the tomb weeping. The angels ask her, what's up? And her response was, they've taken. And in her confusion, I don't know where he is. And I think that we can relate to that because when we're traumatized, when we've been lorded over by the accuser, when everything seems to be going wrong, how often do we say with our voice, they've taken the victim. They've taken. 
Or how about the confusion? I don't know where God's at. Where's He at? And when we're in that state of mind, we too can be like Mary where we're looking right at Jesus and don't realize that's Him. Can we hear in the Lord's voice today like in the garden? Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She was now looking at the resurrected Christ, something that no one has ever seen anything like it before. The firstborn over all creation. His body, we're talking about his body. Last week I used the word creation a couple times referring to his body. Let me just be clear that he is the non-created one. He is the creator. But in this way, he started God's new world. I just think it's awesome. It's no coincidence that he steps out of the tomb. It said that the tomb was in a garden. Steps right out of the tomb into the garden. Think about the garden that the wicked vine dressers have tried to keep the fruit from themselves. And now we have the second Adam the firstborn of the new creation, actually set free to be the gardener. And he tells her, go and tell my brethren. Before he's called them disciples, he's called them servants even. Uh, He elevated them from servants to friends. But now he's redressing them as brethren. So I made a statement last week that we are becoming, through the Holy Spirit now, if I had the guys back up here, at the cross and at the resurrection. These guys are sat on. (laughs) The Spirit of God is available back on man again. Jesus appeared to the disciples. What did He do? He blew on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He's created a whole new way of being human. No longer are we under the authority of sickness and death. No longer are we under the authority of the powers of darkness, the powers of this world. Those have been judged because of the cross. Hallelujah. Now we're actually free, like he said through Moses. Let my people go. Let my son serve me. So that the life in Christ now that we lay hold of through the power of the Holy Spirit actually indwelling us to have God actually living inside of you. If we have a Christianity that looks like we're trying to get by or survive or we're waiting for something to happen so that all of the things in the world will go away, we don't understand Christianity at all. We don't understand the resurrection because the resurrection is the life of God being breathed on man again. And now we're part of this new humanity that looks like Christ, the risen one. It started, it was inaugurated in his work on the cross. He really was enthroned as the king. But this is a kingdom where we eat leavened bread, where we go low. Because the kingdoms of the world always try to rise. It's that you have so much life and the clock has been stomped on. This has been popped. The clock, I don't know where it went. The clock has been stomped on. You're no longer held by the power of this world. Instead, you're pitted in opposition to it because it still holds people in its sway. And we, through the kingdom of God, by bringing the kingdom everywhere, we're now able to be gardeners in God's garden. Hallelujah. Faithful vine dressers in God's garden. Just like Jesus. It's through Jesus, because He lives inside of you, that we now possess that power. And that vocation is restored to us. So that what our life looks like is that we're not pulling on things anymore. 
Do you realize that you have the life of God? You actually, you're actually set free to push into. You ever been in communities or circles? Maybe a job situation where everybody's just pulling and taking. That's the other kingdom where we need, we need, we need because we're on the clock and everything's deteriorating and falling apart. But in eternal life, the life of God, the life of the age to come, that's what eternal life is. Not the day when we fly away with wings. It's now in Christ Jesus to actually live in freedom and deliverance in power. We get to lay our lives down. That's why there's a cross. That's why there's unleavened bread. That's why there's bitter herbs. To always remember what it was like to be in bondage. Just like a gardener. You've been given so much creativity and so much life in the Spirit that you have been set free in the world to actually infuse the life of God everywhere you go. And if it doesn't look like that, there's more walking out of that exodus that still needs to happen. Amen? All right, let's stand up. Y'all like my hat? This is my favorite. I got a whole office full of crazy hats. (laughs) Had my foot blow up this week, and I thought, Lord, I'm just going to not do that. But then he said, oh, you're going to do that. Okay. Fire. If you remember it, day of Pentecost, tongues of fire rested on their head. This is what we look like alive in the spirit. It's the spirit of God, the presence of God in fire. Burns off every impurity, sanctifies us and sets us apart. Hallelujah. If we could figure out a way to move a car with it, that would be awesome. Be the next Elon Musk. All right. So, Father, we love you. We are so grateful for what you've done. Lord, you've seen the cries of your people in slavery and in bondage, and you have sent the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, to set us free from the power of sin and death from Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and you've delivered us into the kingdom of light. If you've never walked that out before, if you've never actually said the prayer, I don't know what to say about, I'm just not sure that I'm all about the Romans road prayer, but what I can say is, that the difference is trust in God. If this is the day where you hear what I'm saying and you're like, man, I still got a lot of stuff that holds me down. I live in fear. There's this pressure or presence that's always telling me that there's not enough. That somebody is taken from me. I don't know where God is. This could be the day where the Holy Spirit alights upon you. This could be the day where you trust in Jesus to actually deliver you from that place of bondage and bring you into a place of freedom and restore your vocation to be a gardener in God's new world. So I'll just trust you to, if that's your situation, just latch onto it with your, with your own words. Under your breath, you don't need to be paraded up here or anything like that. God just wants to have a meal with you. He wants to spare you from the judgment that He's put. Not on folks necessarily, but on the world and its systems. So, Lord, we just ask again today, Lord, as we partake of your body and your blood, of the meal that you provided for us, 
Lord, we, we just declare the blood of Jesus over our house, over our families, God, over our finances, Lord, over every gift that you've given us, Lord. And we will step out, Lord. We will walk in your freedom. We will follow your fire, oh God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If I could have the ministry team come forward. This this freedom applies to psychological trauma, mental issues, physical issues. Heaven come. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.